Back by popular demand on the Krug Show. Hope everybody's having a great February the 28th. It's almost 8 o'clock on the West Coast. 11 on the East Coast. Thanks for joining the Krug Show. Brought to you by Pig and a Pickle. The best barbecue in all of Northern California. Check them out in Emeryville and Corte Madera. They're open seven days a week from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. or until they run out. And, of course, Marin Auto Glass, top of the screen. MarinAutoGlass.com, 415-883-3030. A great company. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Check the link in the description. Use the promo code KRUG, and they will match you up to your first $100. And in the month of February, thanks to our two February sponsors, Sharp Corners, Sports Cards, and Collectibles, they're in Monterey and Pacific Grove. Call Anthony Catania, 831-521. Five two six four, and last but certainly not least, if you need a new roof, go to valleyhillroofing.net 209-481-6851. The links to all of my sponsors' websites are in the description. Uh, if you want to help the show, shop the sponsors. Ned Coletti in the house, former Giants assistant GM, former Dodgers GM. Up top is a guy that we saw at a bus stop who just. You know, and he was just standing there, and I'm like, hey, you want to join a live stream? Now, that's an OG on the Krug show, the great Dan Coach Emilio, who joins us behind a gated community that's very safe. Cameras are rolling uh, right now. There'll be nobody approaching Danny's front door who's not at least 90 plus. All right. Um, <laughs> we're talking baseball. It's February the 28th, and let's get just, I'm going to get right in on the Giants. The Giants have not won. They're the only team in the Cactus or Grapefruit League who has not won. Does it mean anything? No, it means nothing. We all know there's great teams that have won the World Series that were terrible in spring training. There were also teams that were great in spring training and lost 100 games. So whether you win the games or lose the games means absolutely zero. But it's not that they're losing the games. It's where they are at. It's such an early part of spring where they seem like their depth of their pitching is already being tested. Um, They've got a couple of young pitchers. Keaton Wynn's got an elbow issue. Um, And I believe they're the, uh, the other young pitcher they have is a hand issue. Yeah. Tristan Beck, Tristan Beck. Thank you, Danny. I was eluding me. Um, Anyway, the giants pitching depth, which is not, particularly uh, impressive. In fact, I got to be honest. I think it's, this is one of the thinnest, um, you know, spring training rosters I've ever seen from the giants, especially on the mound. Um, Their depth is already looks like it's being tested. And, and, you know, why don't we start right there? I mean, can, can this see, I mean, what do you think, Ned? I mean, you, you've watched, you know, you know, all these names. I mean, that the starting pitchers in the Giants camp right now are Logan Webb, Alex Cobb, um, Jordan Hicks, a converted reliever, Tristan Beck, who's hurt. Um, and then, and you're not looking, you're, then you're down to Keaton Wynn, who's hurt. And then Ryan Walker, who's kind of an opener. And then it's, you know, guys like Sean Jelly, KY Tang. Uh, Ethan yeah, he's, he's hurt too. Tang's hurt and is he Cobb, hurt? Cobb's, Cobb's not going to be available till mid-May at the earliest. Yeah. And then you got Robbie Ray who's coming back possibly middle of the year. So they're they're already looking thin on the mound. How much is is that you think a concern? You know, there's a lot of Susan Slusser is saying that the Giants are still in on Blake Snell. Um I don't necessarily think Blake Snell's a great value for them because of the durability factor and the cost, relative cost. But it's February the 28th. You're in camp and you're pitching. You know, you got to run a marathon. You got to cover thousands of innings here. And um, they don't, they look very, that this would worry me if I was Farhan. What do you think? Well, it's, um, it is worrisome if it's going to be for a while that people are going to be out. Um, you know, you need X amount of innings every spring. That's why spring training is a link that it is. It's really for the pitchers more than anybody. Um, a lot of people feel pain this time of year. Okay. They haven't really, they may be thrown on the side, this and that. Now they're ramping it up. So I think before, before we really, uh, 
dig deep into it, we really have to know how serious it is. They are starting a little bit at a disadvantage. Big sign with Ray, going to be months away. As Danny said, Cobb's out for a while. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways of looking at it, including perhaps they, they think they can compete and stay close, at least wild card close, until they get everybody healthy and then make a run. Uh, a little bit precarious to, to predict that. But but that could be it. You know, I always valued or evaluated spring training by how much or how little I talked to the trainer. If I talked to the trainer a lot, it wasn't going well. If I if the trainer and I would say hello every morning and they see you later uh, at the end of the day, perfect. But uh, when they, if you don't have the pitching, your chances of being successful are they they dissipate very quickly. But we got to wait to see also. How hurt is everybody? And are they going to miss any parts of the season besides two of the three big guys that you know aren't going to be there except uh, on the line in uh, opening day? Spencer Howard started today for them. Um, are you familiar with Spencer Howard? No, not not terribly. <laughs> uh, I'm not either. I'm not either. He's a, but uh, yeah, he's I, I as Crook used to say in the ball in the uh, pre in the uh, spring training games. That's old man Howard's kid. That's old man Howard's kid. Um, what about offensively, Ned? What What do you think of this club offensively? I mean, let's talk about it. Around the diamond, it's Bailey behind the dish. They brought in Tom Murphy as the backup. It looks like they're platooning Flores and Wade at first. Tyro at second. Marco Luciano is going to be at short. They assigned Nick Ahmed to try to, you know, kind of a, Yep. Goodbye, Crawford, but he's kind of what Crawford's role would have been if Crawford yep. had stayed. And then you've got Casey Schmidt, who we're big fans of uh, at third, um, who, but didn't have a good year last year. He hit 206. Um, and then in the outfield, you have Jung Hoo Lee, who's obviously being paid $19 million a year. Um, I would imagine he's going to do something. And then you got Yaz, um, and it looks like uh, Conforto on the, on the flanks. What do you think of the Giants on the field? Their their you know their everyday lineup. Well, I think there's some holes in it. Um, I think if everybody stays healthy, everybody produces. Um, they've got a, they've got a chance to compete offensively, but it's going to take everybody staying healthy and everybody having really uh, at least what they're capable of type years and a little bit above. Um, you know, it's as as you look at another team, as you look at putting your pitching staff together and facing other clubs, you look for lineups that have weak spots to them. And there's a few, in my opinion, in that lineup um, because your starting pitching will pitch differently through the heat of a summer versus who they're facing. And if there's easy spots in it, I think the best teams, especially with the DH in both leagues, you know, some teams really don't have a weakness to them in that lineup or, or their weakness is somebody else's fourth or fifth best player. I think San Diego, a lot of their issues last year was the second half of their lineup as much as anything. Um, you know, they had four guys, five guys that really had below average years. And when you have that, your starting pitching can pitch around the good hitters. They can pitch around a Conforto, a, a Yaz, they can pitch around guys and and attack those that are going to hit 230, 240, 220, 206. So I think it's it's a little bit precarious. It's a tough combination to have pitching that may be hurt. Again, don't know to what extent, but it's it's you can't chase the scoreboard for very long. Teams that chase the scoreboard have really very little chance of being successful. So I think it's it's a better lineup than a year ago, but I think guys have to have to pick it up and have to at the end of the season you have to look back and say whatever your expectation was of the offense, everybody met it or surpassed it. One uh, one more quick one for you before we get Danny involved here and really this thing gets off the rails. No, I'm just joking, Dan. Um, is Susan Slusser is reporting? that the Giants continue to explore the markets for both Blake Snell and Matt Chapman. Um, I love this one. One source tells Slusser there's roughly a 
50-50 chance the Giants come away with one of those players. So you're saying there's 50 It's a coin flip. It's a, it's literally a coin flip, uh, whether they'll get Blake Snell or Matt Chapman. Um, and maybe And it didn't say or, it was and. So I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine they would go for both, but the Giants also have not spent a lot of money this offseason. So maybe, um, you know, they ha- well, definitely they have compared to some clubs, but not in relation to the Dodgers they haven't, or in relation to the money they've said they were going to spend. What do you think the net of those two names of this club and the way, you know, it's a, Farhan's kind of admitted it's, it's a young club. It's a rebuilding club. Um, if you're in, if you're the GM of a young rebuilding club, are you interested on February 28th in Matt Chapman and Blake Snell, or are those guys foundation pieces that you think could really help help the Giants? How do you view those two names? Well, I think they both helped the Giants in 2024 and maybe in 2025. Um, I think, you know, with, with pitching always and, um, you know, pitching is tough. I mean, I signed Clayton to a long-term deal, and even that was – they kind of hold your breath a little bit, even with somebody that's maybe the best pitcher in the last 20 years in the league. Um, so it is it is a, a, a tough ride, but I think they would both help the club the next couple of years at least. Uh, you know, Chapman's really good player. Uh, changes your offense, changes your defense. You know, Snell, you know, he's, he's won a couple of Cy Youngs, which um, I can't tell you that that I – I'm going to say that feared isn't the right word, but um, seeing him start, I always thought the team I was with or the team that I was watching play, play San Diego or Tampa, we're going to have a chance in that game at some point to do something. And, you know, he had the great game in game six of the world series in 2020 he came out, uh, I think giving up one hit after going through the order twice. Um, not sure it was his idea, but, you know that to me is a little bit of an outlier for him, and you can't you can't argue with the award. You can't argue with a lot of it, but I think that I never really thought that it was Madison Bumgarner going out there. That you know this guy's going to be tough to handle tonight. Matt Cain, this guy's going to be tough to handle tonight. Yeah, Blake Snell here and there will be tough to handle, but here and there, I think he'll throw enough pitches and, and put enough guys in hitters counts that people will be able to to do some damage. But does it improve the team in the short term? Yeah, I think they both improve the team in the short term. But, you know, you're, you're and as much as whatever Blake Snell has been doing up until almost March 1st, uh, you know, you're, you're still missing some of spring training. And I think Scott represented Kyle Loesch years ago who missed a good part of spring training and still came back and had a very, very good year. But it's it's not necessarily the same as – coming into camp the first couple of days of February, knowing where you're going to be, knowing who your teammates are, knowing what you're, you're up against, and then going out there and, and getting ready for you know, the first couple of days, you know, the first couple of days of the season. But Danny, yeah, Danny, how's the team better? I was just going to ask Dan, how the club has looked in the first, the giants are zero and three. They lose today, seven, four to the A's. How have they looked in the early season so far, Danny? Um, I've seen two games and the first game, there was no score. The next game, they, uh, scored, uh, 10 runs. So, um, you know, I think they're, they're not playing all their guys obviously yet. I mean, it's still four or five games in a lot of guys that have no shot at making the team or in the lineup, like, uh, uh, Chase Pinder has been out there a couple of times in the outfield, Chad's younger brother. And they're just getting to look at him for a while. And, you know, Luciano's yet to play, uh, which is not a good sign. He's 21 years old, had a back injury, had a hamstring last year, dealing with a hamstring this year. That's not a good sign to me that a 21-year-old's dealing with lower back and hamstring issues. Um, So not sure what that's going to entail. Pitching-wise, I don't think they've been... Pitching well. Kyle Harrison, the young rookie, looked great. Uh, saw him Sunday afternoon. He struck out four of the six guys he faced. Overpowered guys. Um, but the rest of the guys, Jelly got lit up today. Um, Mason Black, the other day, he got lit up in the first. Uh, guys are giving up a lot of long balls right now. Um, 
they're not uh, – I don't think they have the depth there. It, we'll, we'll see. Solaire looked good. Um, Joey Bart, the game I saw him, he hit he had two for two with a walk, which is good. He got out in base all three times. But, uh, you know, I do think the club has a different vibe this year. I like the idea of Bob Melvin, Matt Williams, uh, older school guys that, you know, uh, I just read an article just a little bit ago that Melvin's got all of his players uh, out onto the field for the national anthem. And the point is, it's not a political statement. It's, hey, we're ready to play, you know. Um, we're, we're showing up and we're ready to play. And I just, I think the giants need that. They need a lot of discipline. Um, and, um, my, my thing is though, and I don't understand what Farhan's doing. He says, we're going to go youth movement, but it's with the pitching staff, but he's playing older vets that are not going to be here whenever they get into, you know, guys like Yaz, Conforto, um, Flores, you know, guys that are older and you got younger guys that you're going to just have them sit on the bench, basically Matos, Ramos, Casey Schmidt, guys that you need to see if they can develop. So um, I would think that your best shot at staying in any kind of wildcard contention and if you were able to get into a playoff series you need three really good starters, and you've got Webb. You're going to get Cobb back, but what happens if you sign Snell? And now you had – and then Ray comes back in late in the season, and and the Dodgers probably only kryptonite might be left-handed pitching. That I mean, you got Otani. You got um, – Freddie? Uh, uh, yeah, Freddie Freeman and Muncie and Outman. There's four guys that are key hitters in their lineup, and Blake Snell has dominated the Dodgers and the Padres, uh, or, or the Diamondbacks, excuse me, in the in the Western Division. Uh, you don't have a chance in the with this pitching staff. You just don't. So I don't know why you would sit on uh, guys unless you're just doing a rebuild. And if you're doing a rebuild, fine, say it, but don't try and sign a guy like Soler. And you got some other veterans and say, you think you're a playoff team. You know, my question for Farhan, if I was there as a media member is, do you feel, what would it take to sign Montgomery or Snell? Or do you feel you're already a playoff team, potential team without those guys, put him on record, you know, hold him accountable is, is what's he doing? Because Blake Snell is a guy that can help you. Montgomery's a guy that can help you. Imagine if you had a, that kind of a, a, a rotation in a series, a short series, Webb, uh, Snell, Robbie Ray, <laughs> Alex Cobb. I mean, we saw what Arizona did last year, right? It was because of their pitching, got him into the World Series. Timely hitting, good defense. They had a lot of speed, though, too. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it on the other side of things, um, today, um, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who's the, you know, the lesser publicized uh, part of the Dodgers billion dollar offseason investment. Into billion one. Yeah, billion one. So you're washing off a hundred million like it's a quarter. Yeah, yeah. Billion, a billion one. Uh, you know, of course they signed Otani, uh, 10 years, 700 million, a lot of it, uh, a lot of it, um, deferred, but the giants of course offered that exact same deal. And then, uh, Yamamoto finalized a $325 million, 12 year deal. Well, Yamamoto pitched today in surprise against the, uh, Rangers. I almost and, went to that game and, and he struck out three and two scoreless. Um, and, uh, he looked really, really good. I guess he opened up. He struck out Marcus Simeon on six pitches. He gave up a single to Evan Carter, and then uh, Wyatt Langford gra grounded into a double play. He struck out Nathan Lowe, Nathaniel Lowe on uh, three pitches, and then retired Jonah Heim on a flyout to left. So, Ned, what do you think? I mean, this kid's got a long wind up, but man, he's got an awesome 
he reminds me a lot of Lincecum. He's yes. got a mid nineties fastball. He's just, he, he's so much Lincecum to me. Um, and I, that's why I'm really worried long-term about that deal. But I'll say this right now, this first year, I think this guy is going to be the talk of the game uh, between now and let's say June. Yep. Uh, well, I'm going to go back to Danny just for a second, uh, you know, going through, you know, his thoughts on the camp, you know, spring training to me was every, every pitch, every pitcher, every hitter was its own chapter. And we like to rush to decisions, judgments, uh, opinions, so to speak, but it's going to take the rest of the month to sort it out. It may be right on, but it's going to take a while to sort it all out. And then, even when the season starts, it's going to take more and more time to sort it out. These things change daily, one way or the other. And yeah, right now there's a lot of questions, but you know there, there's a lot of different things. You you do have one of those two starting pitchers. Suddenly you got you have a different situation, and you don't need maybe as many runs. Right. Exactly. And, and you know suddenly everything changes because it's a domino effect, and you push other people back a little bit back a step back, you know, a spot. So if, you know, if they can get one of those two guys done and yeah, it may not age well, or maybe it's going to be a pillow contract like Cody just signed. Then, you know what, you're going to have a chance to compete because those guys can't pitch and you're going to get reinforcements through the year. The other, now to go back to Yamamoto, you know, I think um, a a bunch of stuff. He's going to be very good. The duration We'll wait and see. To sign somebody for that amount of time, that that's pretty tough to, you know, to sleep easy on all of that all the time. But and he is so much like Tim, you know, same type of frame, you know, not not real big, um, right-handed, leveraged delivery. Um, but you know, Timmy won himself a lot of games, a lot of championships, and a lot of a lot of awards. So not bad. But uh, you know, the, to me, as I looked at it, and I think about. I think baseball reference has Clayton Kershaw, who, you know, one of the all-time best, has made a little bit less than $300 million in his career before this season. And 325 plus 50 to the, you know, the posting fee went to somebody who hadn't pitched a day in the big leagues. So I guess it shows where the baseball economy is, where the teams are at. I guess it also shows – when you get swept by Arizona and and don't leave for an inning, and when you get swept by San Diego after winning the first game in that series in October earlier, um, you know you're you're not going to let details like how much money you're spending on on who or what and how much you haven't spent on somebody else uh, to cloud your vision. Ned, a question for you regarding negotiations. We saw that Cody signed for three years, $80 million with opt-outs after the first two seasons. If uh, you're in the negotiations now and you're looking at signing one of the pitchers or Chapman, does that change your, um, you know, like if, if, if prior they were looking at seven, eight years wanting quite a bit and you say, hey, are you, are you holding the line if you really only want to go three or four years? Um, every situation is a little bit different. And I think you, you, and I'm sure that the giants have done their due diligence. That's, they do a ton of due diligence. And so, you know, they, they know as well as they can know the condition of the players, the health of the players, the, um, the mindset of the players to compete of the players, the ability of a player to age a little bit, still compete, still be good and help in the case of one of the pitchers, help your young pitchers as they start to show up in the big leagues. Um, But I think any deal that has a a lot of years to it, you know, you're at the end of it, you're going to probably be sending a check home or certainly not getting a hundred cents on a dollar. And the shorter you can go, the better. To me, it wasn't always the dollar figure that held me up. It was the duration. I would like I when I my first year I signed Raphael for call. He reportedly had 55 million from the Cubs for five years. I offered him 39 for three. 
younger free agent, let him be a free agent again before he was 30 and give him a couple more million a year. And he took it and then signed again. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but the years to me is where it always, it always seemed to be whatever I was comfortable with. And then knowing that my comfort level wasn't going to match the players or the agent. So I knew I was probably going to have to go one more year than my comfort level. And then so many times the, the demand was two or three years beyond my comfort level. What was the longest uh, duration contract you signed? Clayton's seven years. Yeah. yeah. That paid off pretty well. Yeah. It was, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, was, what, oh, go ahead, Ned. I'm sorry. No, that's um, one of the things I think was kind of interesting is that Rob Manfred and some of the people in the league office are now kind of expressing the sentiment that they'd like to see some of these signings not lead into spring training. Um, I mean, it's just, this is where baseball, I just don't get it at all. I mean, um, it's a summertime sport. People make plans. And I just feel like so many of these teams lost out on so many opportunities to sell tickets this year by not announcing signings. The Giants are one of them, but even the Giants were pretty active by by standards. If you look at the whole league, if you compare them to the Dodgers, they didn't do anything. But um, but you know what I'm saying? It's like there's just so many of the people buy tickets to to watch baseball because of a signing in the offseason. Manfred has expressed interest in maybe trying to confine the signings by having some deadlines, maybe to the month of December. As an executive and somebody who's worked with, you know, the Borises and and seen kind of the how the the, the stew is, you know, made, what what do you think? Do you agree with that? Do you not agree with that? What would be the impact or how would things go differently if there was a deadline in December? Do, do you like the idea? I've long been an advocate of, of, you know, the winter meetings. Typically, people start to arrive on a Sunday, Thursday, you have the Rule 5 or Friday, and everybody takes off. And, you know, there's a lot of excitement wrapped around the winter meetings, but very little gets done. There's far more buildup than there is actual activity. I've thought for a long time, you know, you, you see it in other sports. You, you guys know I work in the National Hockey League. You've got the July free agency. It opens. And within like 48, 60 hours, almost everybody's signed. Yeah. It's, and, and so you have this crescendo and this interest that, that peaks. Think of if baseball took the center stage of sports NFL hasn't gotten to the playoffs yet. NBA's a couple months in. NHL's a couple months in. If that week in December had this type of buildup to it, and on the day before the Rule 5 draft was the deadline, you know, or maybe you move the baseball winter meetings back into January or something, but that prolongs it a little bit. The one thing that I've noticed in the two different – I've noticed a lot of different differences in the two sports – uh, many, many similarities, which has allowed me to do it. But some of the differences is in baseball. You know, if, if you've been chasing Cody or Blake or uh, Montgomery or Chapman, if you've been chasing them all winter, you've been chasing them really since the day the World Series ended. And, you, you know, you, had no, you got November, December, January, February. You've had 120 days of wondering, do we, don't we, are we, aren't we? Besides, Larry, great point about selling tickets and getting people excited about your team. I think the marketing of the sport would, would increase then too. And the executives, you know, there's, there's a lot of burnout in the sport because there's no time off. There's no off season. As I just said, those teams that are, that are chasing these four, you know, they haven't stopped. They're already back in camp. So I, I think it's a great idea, but getting the union to agree to something like that, which you're going to have to do, that's as big a hurdle as anything. They yeah. want the time to get the most they can for their, their clientele, which is, that's, that's why they're there. But I think if it was, if you could wave a magic wand and have it in my mind, the Thursday before the rule five draft on Friday, I think it'd be magnificent interest. And and the, the meetings, people be riveted to it. 
Yeah, it would be it would be great. Even Farhan the other day said made a comment that you know, hey, spring training started. He said uh I've had three and a half months to get a deal done. So you think if if we would have been able to get a deal done, it would have happened already. We're moving kind of like we're kind of moving on, yeah. which I think is a good good oh, move. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and and you know, no matter who it is, people who you know who wonder, well, what is a GM doing? Are these people working? How come they can't get stuff done? You know, the GM sits in the middle of start counting ownership, maybe more than one. Okay, agent, player, family, union, um, market, other teams. It is a people. I, I don't know if they appreciate the. I'm not making an excuse for it. It's just the facts. The complications of that position that you have no control over. Aaron Judge lands at SFO last year, and and a, a writer, a, a well-known writer, writes he's signed with the Giants. Well, who's got good? You know what? You know, and we talked about the you know the Korea situation, and. Uh, as, as much disappointment as there was in that, I think the Giants, except for maybe having a press con- or setting up a press conference, they didn't do anything wrong. They did due diligence and, and found out what they found out and made the decision that they made. But you know, how would you feel if 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 you had done that and the year that he had last year was a year he had in San Fran? You, that would be the topic of this show. Would have been the topic all winter long, all last season long. So it's a very complicated position. And when you sit in the middle of it, like in this case, Farhan does, he has a lot of people. I just, I just named groups, not even the number of people that have to say, yes, that's tough to do. Um, Brandon Crawford is a Cardinal and I saw him in a, in a Cardinal uniform and it just looks strange. I'm just kind of wondering, all the years in baseball, can you think of any, who looked the strangest in a new uniform in your mind, Ned? Is there anybody that, that you thought and you said, man, it was, you know, weird seeing, you know, I mean, some of the guys, guys like, you know, Kirby Puckett, George Brett, they played their whole career with one team. But, yep. and, and it's usually somebody who played their whole career with one team, except for like the end, you know, a little bit at the end. Yeah. Um, like no Steve doubt. Carlton was Andre a Dawson giant. Was a mine. Andre Rock, Dawson, Chicago, Rick Sutcliffe, Mark Grace. I'm trying to think of some John. Well, Jeff Kent. You know, seeing him in an Astro uniform was like, oh, this is this is bizarre. You know, yeah. and then two years later, he's in a Dodger uniform. Like, hey, this is really bizarre. You know? I thought Will Clark, Will Clark, oh, gosh, in, yes. a Card- in a Cardinals uniform at the end was like, what? <laughs> Will Clark <laughs> brawled with Ozzie Smith and Jose Akendo. Yeah. That was particularly strange. Um, but, uh, you know, I always thought it was weird watching Steve Carlton with the Giants or even yes. Randy Johnson, even Randy Johnson with the Giants. Yes. I think one of the hardest for me was, as growing up as a Giant fan, was uh, seeing Willie McCovey in an A's uniform. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Gosh. Or Maze in a, Maze in a Met. Yeah, yeah Mays 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 it wasn't as bad for me as it was his roots was New York, you know. So seeing the NY on there, even though it was blue and you know, I, I'll old. give you one, and I'll give you one that was really weird, and I don't know why it was weird because it's just down the road. But watching Steve Garvey on a Padre uniform, just something about Steve Garvey was such about the Dodgers. Yes. Oh, yeah. To see him with the Padres was just strange, really oh, strange. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dave Parker, I you know I think I thought of as a pirate, seeing him in an A's uniform, I always thought was kind of weird. Uh, and then when he shaved, remember the Reds had the rule that you had to shave, so Parker did shave, and he had a really good year with the Reds. He was a Cincinnati kid who came up with the Pirates, but uh, watching him with the Reds looked kind of weird. Um, October, um, February or March moves. What's the biggest move you've made in February or March? And and how do you make a big move in February or March? Because it's like without kind of admitting that, man, you, the club that you put together wasn't nearly good enough, right? Well, Otherwise, that's not always the factor either. That the club you, you put together isn't good enough. 
you have to, again, you, I go back to the free agent signing situation. You have to have two teams to say yes. And if a player's got a no trade, you've got more complications. And it's far easier for GMs my time or in this time to say no than it is to say yes. And sometimes it just takes you, it takes you time to get there. And sometimes people are waiting to see, okay, I started pitching. There's never a, really a surplus of it, but if you had two shortstops and, you know, you had a kid that was really ready to do it and played maybe the second half of the season because the incumbent had been out and the incumbent is still under contract. No team is going to make a move until they see that player play. You may want to trade the incumbent and the veteran, but a team is going to say, well, I got to see this player in camp. I got to see this player go, and I got to see this player play back-to-back. I got to see this player go as the camp goes on, and your starting pitching starts to get more revved up to being what it's going to be like when the season starts. It's, you know, the, the respect of timing and negotiation your research, your preparation, your ability to listen, all those things are major factors. Your your courage to say no, but list, but timing is the one that always gets lost in the shuffle. But timing is imperative. Many times it, it just take it just takes time. It takes time to make a deal. You know, Dallas Green, my first couple of years in the Cubs, made one of the biggest deals of, of my career with about 10 days ago in spring training with the Phillies. He got Bobby Denier, who had been up and down, good center fielder, great speed. And speed great speed, yeah. And he got the Sarge. Billy Campbell and another player. Um, I think Mike Diaz, a, a kid from Pacifica, if I'm not mistaken, a long time ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember him. But, you know, I mean, that that changed the entire dynamic. And, and you know, but that took, you know, it was probably a week before the, the end of, you know, the end of camp. Funny little story with that. Bobby I was thinking Benito, I was thinking Benito Santiago. Well, I was going to mention that as a signing. Yes. That's a, that was a funny story. I'll, I'll tell you if you got, you know, I'll get into two quick stories here. The first one with Gary Matthews and Bobby Dunier. Bobby Dunier was a, a great speed, could really play center field, leadoff man, but had been up and down with the Phillies. Sarge was accomplished. Giant, Philly, you know, brave. brave. Yeah. I mean, really an accomplished player. So the first day they get to they get to Mason and Holcomb Park. Uh, I'm standing around the cage with them, and Bobby D looks at Gary and he says, "Sarge, man, I'm really glad you came with me." And and Gary Matthews says, "Bobby D, don't get it twisted. You came with me." <laughs> so that is know, so. That's a good one. Benito, it was like the middle of March. You know, we did we needed another catcher, and he was still out there. And you know, I got a hold of him in Florida. I said, "Hey, you know, we have a we need have a need, and we'd love to sign you." And he said, "Oh, that's great." I said, "What have you been doing?" He says, "Just fishing. Love to fish. Just fishing." I says, "Well, we don't have a lot of finances left. You know, we I think we paid him five hundred thousand and some bonuses. You know." And he goes, "Do you know who you're talking to? You're talking to Benito Santiago." I said, "Yeah, I know who I'm talking to." You got a calendar on your wall? It's St. Patrick's <laughs> Day almost. You know, if you make making five hundred thousand fishing, you know, and then he, you know, he came to camp. Yeah. Uh, what a player he was, too. I mean, my goodness, he was incredible. By the way, that team that you're that Cubs team you're talking about with Dernier and Sarge, wasn't that one of the very first years the Cubs on the road uni went away from the Grays and went to the blue and the white, right? Yeah, the blue up right. top. Yeah, no, that was a good looking uni, man. The 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 Cubs with the blue up top and the white yeah. pants, and you guys had Dernier, uh, who was as Calba writes here, had one time had an inside the park three run shot at the vet to beat the Giants. So that was a brutal, a brutal night. Uh giant in nineteen eighty-nine. The year that the had Giants. to be at the stick. Calba, was uh, that at the stick? No, it was at the vet. The ball rolled around on the turf oh, and wow. they're near the inside the park. Oh, oh, oh! For it was Phillies. It was oh, Phillies. It. Phillies. Phillies. So eighty. What year was Dernier a Cub? Maybe Started that was four for maybe three or four years. Yeah, yeah. He let off. Sergeant um, second. Sergeant third. How did how did Dallas Green get Sandberg from the Phillies? Good scouting. I mean, how, 
that was that was a tremendous trade. <laughs> the scouting director was Gordon Goldsberry. Gordon Goldsberry had been the Phillies scouting guy. Came with Dallas to Chicago. Phillies were in a win now mode. They needed a shortstop. Okay. They needed um I forget Yvonne de Jesus. So younger player than Larry. Um, we were gonna get Larry and Larry Boa and um Gordon Gold. They were they wanted to give us a guy named Louis Aguayo, kind of an extra man infielder. And Gordon Goldsberry just kept telling telling uh Dallas. They'll trade Samber. They'll trade him. They'll trade him. They they they're backlogged. They got Trio at second, I think, and they got the, the Jesus. They would have it short. He's not going to play. They're not going to stand in the way of holding him back. And sure enough, that's what he did. A couple years later, was an MVP. Ryan Sandberg had never. He was a shortstop, and he played center field during the spring. And got moved to third base his first year in 1982. Kenny Reeds had been the third baseman. He had slowed down. Played third. Did very well. <coughs> Excuse me. And then was moved to second the next year. And won a bunch of gold gloves. And went a season plus, I think, without a throwing error. Believe it or not. I mean, that's one of the I, I still, players. I still, I mean, I, I'll say I still think Robbie Thompson was a better defensive player, but whatever. Yeah, you know, you know the way it goes. You got to hit to win the Gold Glove. Well, he hit. Robbie Thompson was pretty special, man. Yeah, yeah. no, Rob, I love Robbie Thompson. Good, to, I got to see him last August at Murph's thing, and it was much respect, Maddie. You know. Is he in the game, Ned? I'm not sure if he is or he isn't, but um, you know, hard always, nosed player, man. Always respected the effort and, and the grind and the compete ultimate. Ultimate compete. You know, as I think back to the Giants when I before I worked there, I think back to him and Maddie and, and Will, guys like that that just had this aura about how hard they played. And, you know, you were playing in a tough spot at Candlestick, all those things. But these guys were so tough, so much compete in that group. The Roger Craig teams, you know, just oh yeah, tons of compete. Well, you know, you remember, you know, who Roger's bench coach was? Zim? Zim. Yep. And Zim's, Zim's one of the great baseball baseball men, isn't he? I mean, I, I mean, I obviously I don't I don't go back as far as his playing career with the Dodgers, but obviously this guy learned the game at a high level. He was a great Red, Red Sox manager. He was a phenomenal Cubs manager. I mean, everywhere he Zim was has you know, Tory had him right there, front and center, as his bench guy for years. Uh, Don Zimmer, you know, was highly, highly respected for his baseball intellect, wasn't he? Oh yes, one of my one of my all time favorite people that I was around, um, friends until he passed, and um, and I just, you know, he played hard, wasn't ultra talented, but played hard and. Knew the game inside and out. Writers would come in after the game and say, um, "You know, you you made that move. That's that's not by the book." And Zim would say, "Where's the book? You got a book? I don't have a book." He had a trip. We had a triple steal in St. Louis. Think about it: bases loaded and a, and a tie game late, triple steal, pull it off. Not in any book. You know, it's not something you would normally do, but. Just a, a wonderful, wonderful person and a great baseball guy. He gives credit to his his average fielding for the Dodgers winning the 1955 World Series. <laughs> he was really? a second baseman, and Junior Gilliam was out in left field. Right, made an amazing catch. Two to nothing lead, and they took Zim out, moved Gilliam to second, and put Sandy Amaros in the left field. And he made that famous catch down the line at Yankee Stadium. And Zim says, if I was a better fielder, we would have never won the World Series. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, another guy who is still doing it is Pablo Sandoval. Yeah. The Kung Fu Panda, two-time All-Star, three World Series rings, three home runs, game one of the 2012 World Series. People never forget it. Yep. Um, just one of those guys that, you know, I could see playing until 50 
Uh, he's only 37. So it's not like he, you know, guys have, I mean, heck Julio Franco played forever. Yep. Um, but what do you think? I mean, what, give us a Sandoval thought. Um, what did you guys, were you here when he was drafted or, or I think I was there when he, yeah, I think he was signed. He might have been international. He came up in the big leagues in two, 2008. Yeah. I right. Think he was, but he was signed four or five years earlier. Right. Yeah. He was a catcher and he was yeah. a, I can remember him at spring training, you know, like three years before he broke through. Yes. But I, you know, I, I always evaluate players that I, that we had to prepare against and how much I hated seeing them in the lineup for the other team. He was one of those guys. That's one of the greatest compliments I can give. You know, I hated watching him play. Yeah. But he was, I wish him a lot of success. I think he's good for the game. And I hope that he can continue to hit and continue to do to do what he's capable of doing. He obviously loves the game. But I'm looking at when when he originally signed. I think it was like oh three or oh four. Wasn't he like well, yeah, I mean seventeen was... years old out of Venezuela or something? Yeah, yeah, I mean the Giants um I mean, I think it was like 04. You were there till what, 05? End of 05? 05, yeah, in November of 05, I left. Yeah. Yeah. Special player, though. And, oh, yeah. and what bat speed. And the guy just flat out hits. I mean, he's just one of those guys that just can flat out hit. I mean, yeah. just always could. Always can, always could. It's just that he's an amazing, he's an amazing guy. He can hit a pitch around his eyes. You know, he's terrible. I mean, he's kind of, I mean, it's kind of like a Vlad Guerrero. You know, yes. there's a few guys that are just the greatest bad ball hitters you've ever yes. seen. Yes. And and it's like Sandoval's a great bad ball hitter. Vladdy's a great bad ball hitter. And those guys, I'm sure if you're a pitcher, you just hate pitching to those guys because it, there's there's no way to pitch them. I mean, no. yeah. you know, you pitch exactly. them outside, they're going to go out, go away. They'll go. You know, um, wasn't uh, Manny Sanguin that way too? Yeah, uh, was hitting, hit, hitting balls in the yeah. off the dirt. Yeah. Just in, in, in pre-series scouting meetings with uh, versus the Giants. You know, we get to Pablo, and you know they'd have some report about how to pitch him, and we'd all look around the room and go, "Yeah, right." Like you know, he's got to get himself out. You know, you you can't. You're not going to fool him with much. You're going to have to change speeds or whatever. But if you think that he's going to, you know, you're going to be able to get him out like you get everybody else out. There's no, there was no method to getting him out. Ned, while we're talking about hitting, why do we not see much hitters anymore like a Tony Gwynn or Rod Carew in the game? I think the development has changed. I think the development has changed. Launch angles far more important. Exit velocity, things like that. Um, it's a different. It's a different mindset. It doesn't start in the big leagues. It starts when people are drafted, and then it seeps into colleges and high school. It's different. Players struck out two hundred times. You go, oh, this this guy. If he struck out one hundred and twenty times, it's a, you know, we, this guy's got to get better. We can't have this guy. Now 150, 175, 200 times. Yeah, it just seems like getting on base is important. I don't understand it. You know, except Billy Miller used to always say that his dad told him that um, uh, there's only one thing worse than a strikeout. That's a double play. Because, yeah. you know, you're getting two outs on one pitch. But sure. there's no value to the strikeout. You're not moving a runner. Right. You know, you're, not, you're just, you're just it's, it's checking it off the board. But I think it's really how people are taught. I've had a lot of buddies that were hitting coaches in the minor leagues that were fired because they wouldn't teach launch angle. They wouldn't teach uppercut swing. And they would say, not everybody is built to hit 35 home runs. Some guys are built to be hitters. Okay. And yeah. player development guys ran them out. Not we're going to teach everybody the same way. Not everybody's the same. And you know it's just it's just how it goes. Uh, Ned, go oh, I'm sorry, I'm no. not, I've interrupted you a couple times here. I'm, I'm I don't, sure. I don't didn't mean to. Um, Arizona. Um, I want to ask you about Arizona because yep. 
last year they became the second straight six seed to win the National League pennant. And before 2022, there was no such thing as a six seed in Major League Baseball. Um, you know, so what do, what do you think? I mean, we're, there's a lot of talk about the game, about um, expansion and expanding the playoffs. Um, where, where, where are you on expansion in the game right now? Is it the, is it the right thing to do? Um, and, and as far as the, the playoffs, I mean, it's like you play this marathon of a season and then it's just, it's like the, we've seen two six seeds win the, win the NL pennant. Is there something, should the, should the top seeds be given a little bit more of an advantage in the playoffs or do you like the way the playoffs play out? I think the playoffs have enough teams. I think the way it is, is enough. Because I think you you do take those six months and there's not necessarily enough incentive to to win. You know, and I think that should always be the goal. Um, you know, and then when the, you know, when the Dodgers got swept out, people are saying, well, the week off hurt them. So, you know, even the, you know, whatever, there's always stories that go along with it. But I, you know, I understand the financial ramifications and benefits of extra postseason series. I get it. That's why people get paid what they get paid, whether they're in the office or they're on, they're on the field uh, or managing or coaching. Um, but I think it's enough. I think it is what it, I think, okay, let's call it there. Expansion. I, I don't know because I don't know that there's enough pitching today and if you're going to add two more teams you can't add one you're going to have to add two probably to keep everything even i do you have another 30 to 40 people who are major league caliber pitchers that are sitting in the minor leagues and aren't getting an opportunity no you don't we we just opened the show talking about one of the great franchises in history may not have enough pitching to start the season. So we're going to dilute it more by another 40, 15 to 20 per team. I don't know where you get the pitching. I don't know that I don't know that it makes the game better. Yeah. You know, and I think that you know you you have to have and television fuels the industry. Although with the Bally situation, that has changed a lot how how a lot of teams are doing business, but may also besides people getting tired of signing players of long-term contracts and having guys give you back 50 cents on a dollar, you know, that's changed the industry a little bit. TV fuels the industry. Yeah. So TV would, would still fuel the industry, but think how many skyboxes you would need at a stadium, a brand new stadium, probably right. Who's building brand new stadiums. Okay, all the fewer with Oakland and Vegas. I don't think there's a shovel in the ground yet, is there? No. No. So who's going to build these stadiums? And are you going to be able to sell 80 to 100 skyboxes? Not 16 times a year, 17, 18 times a year, 81 times a year. Are you going to be able to do that? Are you going to have a season ticket base? Look at all the secondary markets there are for tickets. You don't ever have to really pay full price for a ticket. There's always somebody trying to sell you a ticket. So you need you're going to have a season ticket base. No, you're not. Not like you not like you typically have in the past. So I think a lot of those things you got to be sure that that's that's what you're going to have. Otherwise, you can't make it go. So it's nice to talk about, but again, it's. Baseball may be the toughest sport to expand because you have so many games to play. Oh, I know. I know it's, 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 and, and, and there's only so many guys who can, who can pitch and it's just, it's, it changes the whole dynamic and it makes you wonder, I know the business could probably support it, but the question is beyond that. I mean, it's not just about a business situation. How, um, like the Giants maybe talking to Snell, maybe talking to Chapman. How and and then they get a couple injuries in their camp. Um 
you know, you're dealing with Boris. I mean, at this point, did, has Boris overplayed his hand, do you think, in this situation? Or do you think he's always kind of, because there'll always be injuries and supply and demand, he'll just always kind of be able to get away with holding his players out throughout the entire offseason? Well, he's he's done a phenomenal job with it. There's no debating it. And he and I were, you know, at odds for, for a long, long time. When we're in a social setting, we're social, respectful, and we've been great since. But, you know, we're at odds all the time. Um, it remains a scene if he's if he's overplayed his hand. What's the definition of that? Because as the guy who really he didn't get about, Bellinger huge dollars. I mean, Bellinger yeah. got eighty million dollars. He yeah. didn't get, you know, he didn't. Yeah, he, get, didn't he didn't sign for you know one hundred and fifty thousand. You know, he's no. getting eighty million dollars, and he'll still be a relatively young guy. And he has the chance, the out clause twice. He's he's going to be a free agent every year, three years. Yeah, he wants to be right. That's a pretty good deal. I think it's a pretty good deal for both clubs, really. Yeah, unless he gets. I mean, the club and the player. I mean, it gives it gives him. I'm gonna love the kid, but it's you know. But so, what's overplaying your hand? Because people can say whatever they want. I want this negotiation. Well, the teams are the ones paying the money. So when you're paying and you'll say, I'll go up to 80 million, you got to come up with 80 million. If you're coming down from 200 million to 80 million, you're not going in your pocket for 120 million. No, it's cotton candy. You can say whatever you feel like saying. So to say you overplayed his hand, I, I don't know that that's accurate. Cody got over 25 million a year with the, with the freedom the greatest right the players ever fought for, the right to be a free agent next year, the year after, and the year after. That's not bad. He goes off and it's has not, a- It's not bad. I mean, the player's always going to win because the player has leverage. Yeah. But, you know, the big win would be huge money, guaranteed. And what If Cody doesn't play well, if Cody tears an Achilles or whatever, he's, he's not going to have near the market or he's not going to make the kind of money. He, it still makes him have to keep doing it yes um, which, is, which is not a bad thing yeah that's not a bad thing for the club either i agree um when you were with the giants or with the dodgers you know this is the month where everybody's got a client that's looking for a job and you everybody's telling you yeah my guy looks great my guy looks great how do you know a guy looks great as a or do you, did you have a guy that you said, hey, look, go investigate every single one of these, you know, middle of the road potential guys who, you know, maybe is, you know, because you want to know if the who's in shape, who's not in shape. You can't be in everybody's house, so you what are you gonna do? A try have a tryout camp in Arizona or Florida. So how do you keep your finger on the pulse of accurately knowing? who's really working out and looking great and you want to sign and having your team as opposed to who's just, you know, just looking for a job and not really working out. I mean, did you yourself do that? Did you have a certain scout that you had looking for that? Or how did you, how did you kind of sift through that? Great, great question. Um, And it's funny how you opened the, the topic up, you know, with the agent conversation, you know, I always, always hear my guys never felt better. Why? Sure. (laughs) <laughs> he's, he hasn't done anything for four or five months. He's been in Italy for a month or two. He takes, you know, drops the kids off at school, pick them up in the afternoon, plays golf five days a week, nice dinners. I would, I would never feel better either. Yeah, you know, we're not talking about that. Though we're talking about pitching or hitting or playing defense. Um, each day, the leverage for those types of players starts to become more and more club friendly. And a lot of guys will just look for the opportunity. They'll sign a minor league contract with an invite to spring training. So you've really got almost no downside to it as a club. Other guys that are, have got a little bit more appeal, not to the, the Chapman side or, or people like that, or Cody or, or Blake or Montgomery. Um, Orlando Hudson had broken a finger or had a, a, something go wrong with his hand. We worked him out of Pepperdine a couple of days in a row. And 
saw his the life in his body, saw the defense, saw as much as we could see in a couple of workouts. Just him and our scouts and myself. So you do have that opportunity a little bit. But then he signed a major league contract with us as well. But most of the most of the signings you're going to see now, except for those big three that are left, maybe there might be another one or two along with those. They're going to be minor league contracts where there's no guarantee, basically, and you're going to have a free look for a month. And then maybe you know the player will ask for an out at some point, maybe on the eve of the last waiver period before the end of camp. Or maybe May 1st, something like that. And then you got to make those decisions. But the leverage right now, except for a very, very small percentage, rests with the clubs. Um, well, we're going oh, yeah, to okay. move this over to Danny's channel. Okay. Um, so let's do that right now. Ned's going to join us for a few more minutes. And I just want to thank everybody, Pig and a Pickle, all the sponsors. Uh, everybody involved, um, and we're going to reconvene over on Danny's channel. Danny, it's NorCal Sports Network. Yep, NorCal so Sports Network. We'll, we'll move over to Danny's channel right now and uh, join us. Otherwise, thanks for joining the Krug Show, and have a great night. Tomorrow morning, by the way, Nick Allegretti is going to stop by, uh, the former Kansas City Chief. We'll talk about the Super Bowl with the Niners, and looking forward to that. So that's tomorrow morning on the Krug show, but for Dan and for Ned, we will be joined now over on Danny's channel. Thanks for joining the Krug show. Peace. Yeah, never met a man. I've been scared of careful. You won't get exactly what